0: Lord God, I just pray as we spend our second week unfolding the millennial views, Lord, and you would just help us understand what our brothers and sisters in Christ hold on millennialism in a different way to believe the millennial kingdom is not the same as what we talked about last week. And we, in our church, Lord, though we may have mostly different views, I pray we can understand how they look at things, and even when we don't agree, Lord, that we can um, treat them with the respect and the love that they deserve as members of the body of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So you have a handout. Everybody have a handout? Because Doc Lindeman stole them and handed them, handed them all out. That's all right. I'll share. No, you don't have to share. I'm good. I have it on my computer. Um, I actually need like a something to. Well, no, no, no. I I, I don't need the outline. I I I just uh, I have the full thing up there. Oh, the, yeah, but yeah. I don't think I don't think I I think the the tilt on it will be. Anyway, so when we say the word amillennial... millennial. What "ah" uh, means, as you probably already know, means no, right? It's so atypical, odd uh, it's not typical kind of thing. So, millennialism, so means no millennium, but here, that they would say that really is not a fair title for what we believe. We prefer that it would be a real, present, invisible, and spiritual millennium, so it's not that there isn't one, it's that it's in a different form than a literal thousand years. So these aren't people who are saying the millennium doesn't exist, but they're saying it exists in a different way up in heaven spiritually. in a, And so it's just as real, if not more so, it's just you can't see it. This has been, all millennialism, has been the generally accepted position of Christianity for probably since the mid to late 300s AD, thanks to Augustine. If you've read or studied any of Augustine's writing, a lot of good stuff, but his view of of prophecy and scripture was tending to uh, not see it literally. And that was a change. You remember last week we talked about church fathers like Origen and, uh, you know, Athanasius and those who believed that there was. A literal thousand year millennium, but they did not believe, um, that Israel necessarily had a place. So we have, even with premillennialism, there's the early classic version and then there's the later uh, version that Darby and others, and you know, most commonly would be called uh, dispensational premillennialism. Even you don't have to be a dispensationalist to believe there's a millennium and Israel has a place, but that's kind of the label it gets. So the Roman Catholic Church, the Eastern Orthodox Church. So for hundreds of years, those are the two branches of the church, East and West. Even in in the Reformation, most of the reformers, like Calvin and Luther and such, believed in the amillennial view point. Now next week we'll do postmillennialism, and they were kind of mixed together; they weren't differentiated until a little bit later. Um, so the post-millennialist history would be the same roots when we get to that. So most mainline Protestant denominations would hold to millennialism, but do not assume, because I said mainline denominations, everybody who believes this is liberal, who do not have a high view of scripture because that is not true. Where did I put my water? Oh, there, good, because I'm about to cough after all that. So, this, like I said, majority view of even today, if you take away the evangelicals and Baptists and such, well, they are evangelicals then, um, th- this would be in most churches across the world. This would still be the view. It's been the historic view. And so, we want to understand what they view. So, being that, that you have some, like uh, I mentioned the name Sam Storms last week. And he is a, a very conservative, believes in scriptures and errant. And then on the other side, you have liberal churches that hardly some of them even believe Jesus is God. And so if they all hold to this, there's going to be a big range within amillennialism of the things that they say. So we're going to be looking more at what the conservative amillennialists would say. Okay, so first, just like last week, we are going to look at interpreting, on your outline, apocalyptic literature, which means, remember what apocalypse means, reveal, it's Greek word for reveal, the Re- book of Revelation in Greek is called the apocalypse. So here we have the prophetic literature in both Old and New Testaments, and here's the, again, I'm starting with the main way that we differ is how we interpret scripture. Now, in all, every other area, a reformed uh, brother and sister that's in a reformed church that are very conservative and uh, Presbyterian Church USA, for I'm uh, not USA, uh, but Presbyterian Church of America is very conservative, and they would uh, they would t- agree with us in how to interpret Scripture until it gets to. Prophetic literature, the apocalyptic literature. And then they would say that it has symbols in it, that it's it's more hidden meanings, that there are spiritual meanings, that things are say one thing and then they become another. Okay, we may need more copies. So the copy machines on in the office. Welcome. Did you have to slosh through the mud to get here? <laughs> So their view we we're talking about the view of millennialists which have a very high view of scripture, but when we get to prophetic literature, they tend to say it's spiritualized. So here's they say it's symbolic medium, so events, persons, and things are symbolic to represent something else less obvious and often spiritual. But you still, how do you know what it means then? You have to read it in its historic context to understand what the original readers would have thought and how would they have interpreted those symbols back thousands of years ago. And you have to also look at how other scripture would speak to that thing that, that we think it might be symbolizing so that it isn't just make up whatever symbol you want it's it's going to have some scriptural reference points in it. And that will be a very important point when you get to Revelation 20 because it's so symbolic in different places and we agree there are symbols in Revelation. We just don't agree to the extent to which we make all... Of Revelation and other um, apocalyptic literature symbolic. And so that will be the biggest difference. But if you say, well, other scripture has to interpret the apocalyptic literature, that will be one of the biggest differences. Okay? Any questions, comments? So this is the main sticking point is how do we interpret scripture? And this is, by the way, again, I will reference the change in the evangelical free church book uh, Governing Council, or no, not Governing Council, the the re- National Conference, um, the reason the people stood up, or at least most of them, and said, how can we do this is because they feel like we are compromising our view of Scripture by allowing amillennialism and postmillennialism to be valid views within the denomination. It's all over this first point that we're talking about. Okay? All right. So, on your outline we're talking interpreting. So prophecy is interpreted figuratively in the New Testament. So Old Testament prophecies, for instance, can, can be fulfilled either in the church age or they can be ful- fulfilled figuratively in different, other different ways. Or sometimes some of those verses that we see like in Isaiah about the lion and the lamb laying down together will happen in the new heaven and new earth after Christ returns, so there's still a real millennium going on, but when the new heaven and new earth comes, all the things that we're reading and looking forward to as a, in a literal millennium as a, a premillennialist, will happen in the new heaven and new earth. So that kind of takes care of those prophecies. Did we lose our scripture earlier? Well, anyway. Okay, so another thing that the amillennialists would say is that Old Testament prophets describe an everlasting kingdom. A kingdom without end. And so they say, how can you say there's a literal thousand year millennium? By definition, millennium, thousand, if you're saying it's literally a thousand, it has an end. So, But the prophets like Daniel, which we'll get to in a minute, they say, look, this was an everlasting kingdom. So how can this be that you have the the prophets that say this in the Old Testament and then you come along in Revelation 20 and say it's a thousand years and it's... uh, a period that isn't everlasting, so they say there's a difference for you. Okay, the New Testament itself, we're going to look at some of the scriptures that they use. There's a lot of scriptures today that uh, that they they use to support their position. So I, like a Berean, I encourage you to go and study these in their context and see what you think to understand. I'm not trying to convince you. Again, I'm a premillennialist in my point of view, but I think we have to understand what others say before we just rail at oh that's wrong that's horrible you can't be that that's going to ruin the denomination or whatever you need to understand where they're coming from first before you make your conclusion okay so Luke 3 somebody like to read that for us real loud so well here all this kind of because then the tape can hear it go ahead Um, John the Baptist went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare ye the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low, the crooked road shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. And we're going to talk a little more in our sermon from a whole different point of view on this. But the key idea here is look at the part at the end where it says every valley shall be filled in and every mountain and hill made low. Crooked roads shall become straight. So when Jesus came, did the mountains cease to exist, they would say? Or is everything now level? Are all the roads straight? Would that they were. 395 would be safer, right? So they say, obviously, when the New Testament is saying, look, this is fulfilled right here, um, even with uh, with quoting something out of Isaiah for John the Baptist, they're saying it's spiritual. They're, it's not literally that every crooked road will become straight. What it means is that the spiritual way will become straight and that wide is you know narrow narrow way so in the often in the new testament the idea or and the old testament too the idea of make something straight sin was crooked and so we want to make it straight and so when something a road bends and and all of that it was symbolic of sin and how we need to straighten out things okay let's look at acts chapter two okay Who would like to read that out loud? Phil. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness. And the moon uh, to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. Okay. Again, first part. No problem seeing that fulfilled at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And that's what Peter is commenting on. But when... We look at the Count in Acts chapter two, we didn't see anything about blood and fire and billows of smoke and the sun dark and the moon to blood and all that, and so they would say, "See this is there's is symbolic fulfillment from the Old Testament. The New Testament itself is interpreting Old Testament prophecy with symbol with symbols. Do you see that? See why they say that? Not asking you if you agree with it, just say." Okay, so we're the millennial view says that they interpret scripture, prophetic scripture as symbolic, by and large, or spiritually fulfilled in heaven. you just one of those two. And so there's, we're saying, no, you can't do that. It needs to be a literal fulfillment. And they're saying, but look at Acts chapter 2. Even the New Testament itself took an Old Testament prophecy and, and, and quoted Peter in saying, Peter himself applied this 2,000 years ago, as there's a symbolic part, because he's reading something that didn't literally happen. We don't have the record of all of these big cosmic events. We see these cosmic events as happening in the tribulation. And we see them as future. They're saying Peter is quoting this, as being fulfilled, and he says this. This is fulfilled right now before your eyes, what the prophet Joel said. And, it's, and it includes a part that that they would say is symbolic because there wasn't literally a big cosmic thing with the sun dark and the moon blood and that kind of thing. They're saying that there's a symbolic fulfillment of the last part of the earth's blood and and the sun dark and kind of stuff. Okay? And they're using this as as an example of authority that the New Testament itself uses for a symbolic interpretation of scripture. Nope, symbolic right then and there, right then, right there. The, the, the people are speaking in tongues, and, and the Spirit's poured out, and see, the rest of it is the symbolic part, because the first part's literally fulfilled, but so it's all one big you know thing that's tied together. No, we believe that. They don't. Okay, they don't necessarily see that in that way the point of it is is that they're using uh, the new testament uh, prophecy interpretation of prophecy and saying it's it's symbolic so they think we've already been through the last days we're coming to that okay just keep keep with it last days are coming in this kind of thing and uh and so but when when it talks about the last days and they do they do kinda talk about that saying against the premillennial point of view, they say the old testament prophets wrote about the, the last days a lot and and if uh you go and study in the different prophets, they really kinda had a variety of of applications and meanings and so it was a very wide and diverse kind of reference point, last days. But they say the last days, the odd millennialists were about the church age. And so if there's a thousand year time, a period that's coming, and this is the premillennial view, then we say here's the last days in the tribulation where we see these things fulfilled. And then there's a millennium, then there's some more last days. How can there be two last days? You know, I remember a children's story where they had a bunch of chocolate chip cookies and the frog and toad said, let's have just one more last cookie and then let's have one more last cookie after that. They're saying the same thing. You can't have last days in the church age at the end before Christ comes and then turn around and say there's last days a thousand years later at the end of the millennium. Which is it going to be? Which is last days? So that's one of their arguments against premillennialism. Okay, so any other questions about the New Testament itself, how it interpreted some of the prophetic passages, and they're using that as a, a way of proving their point is valid. Yes, Dan? Well, I just think that Jesus spoke of the time that he was here as being the last days, didn't he? Yes, and so. he did, and, and uh, someone taught about that in Sunday school, but I can't remember the guy's name. Anyway, that <laughs> <laughs> it was our beloved Dr. Lindeman taught a lot about the, how Jesus in Matthew 24 and the Olivet Discourse talked about what, you know, at the, the end, end of time. So, you know, I'm, I have to throw in my own interpretation. How do I answer those things is that, um, the thing that you see on the screen with the moon turned to blood, Peter can be quoting that without saying it's all fulfilled right now. I mean, so I'm basically, I'm agreeing with what, what Lori's saying. How can, what, what the heck is he saying here? Is that yes, some of, of Joel's fulfilled now, and some of Joel's gonna be fulfilled in the end times. Before Jesus comes. So there's nothing requiring that just because he quotes that, he's saying that it was spiritually fulfilled in 2,000 years ago. Yes, Dr. Don. Double fulfillment. I believe there's a lot of double fulfillment. I referenced Isaiah 7.14 about the virgin being with child, that there was, they think, was a fulfillment somehow of that, whether it was a a miracle back then or it was just an unmarried woman that she will... By the time this unmarried woman has a child, Syria will be no longer a threat to you. That was, that was going to be kind of the sign to them. And so it was a, a more mundane fulfillment in Isaiah's time, or it could have been miraculous. And then, of course, the New Testament pulled that out to cite the virgin birth as a prophetic. So there's double fulfillment a lot. Okay, and there are a whole bunch of other uh, of ways if you want to see the scriptures, I can give them. I mean, I've got a big long list of, of, of New Testament, Old Testament fulfillments. Okay, so number two, Roman numeral two on your outline, God's kingdom is present spiritually. Okay, so we've looked at scripture and how it's interpreted. And now we look at how is it that you can say, we say as premillennialists, how can you amillennial say that this whole thing is a spiritual kingdom? And they say, okay, well, here's how. 2 Samuel 7:16, one of our favorite premillennial verses, uh, says your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. And we know God is spirit. This is reference to heaven. So your throne will be established forever. We don't see it literally on earth, so it must be fulfilled spiritually in heaven to fulfill that unconditional promise to David in 2 Samuel 7, 16. Another verse, Matthew 12, 28. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Okay, so by the Spirit, meaning that Jesus' kingdom was spirit. It was spiritual. That the battle wasn't a literal pick up a sword and fight a physical battle demonic force. Luke 7.20, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom is not something that can be observed. Okay, so again, they're saying, see, these are evidences that this is unobserved, it's a hidden kingdom, but my answer is, but Jesus literally was there on earth bringing a kingdom that might have been spiritually for the heart doesn't mean that it it removes any literal fulfillment on earth of that kingdom. Doctor Don. Pontius Pilate didn't understand that when Jesus made that response. Right now he had yeah when Jesus when, yeah that would be another one the Arm could quote is my kingdom is not of this world, is what so you're a king yes I, it is as you say but my kingdom is not of this world okay again how do you want to interpret you could say oh look that that's that means it's all a spiritual kingdom we say. Partly it's a spiritual kingdom, but one day it will be literally fulfilled when Jesus reigns physically on earth. But that's the premillennial point of view, not the amillennial. Peggy. And even Christ's disciples who walked with him didn't understand that whole kingdom situation, what his role was. They thought he would literally be this. Right. And so they, even though they were with him daily, they didn't. Right. The disciples understood a physical, real kingdom but the problem there is that they had the wrong vision of that physical kingdom. And so the millennials say, but the whole thing was spiritual. And it was in the sense that Jesus didn't come to overthrow Rome. He came to overthrow sin in the human heart. It was a different revolution, much bigger and more lasting and more important and, and more powerful than just overthrowing the Roman Empire. And remember, at that time... They just saw nobody could ever overthrow the Roman Empire. Daniel's prophecy talked to him like iron, you know. So there was the gold statue and other different metals, but iron is the one that's strong. It's maybe not as, as valuable, but it was strong. And so they had no vision of how in the world would this kingdom ever end, and they were so beleaguered by that. That's informed the disciples, get us out of this. This is so awful. These people are horrible, and they're godless. Okay. So that is, under the, the present spiritual kingdom, lots of verses there. Number three on your outline, the church fulfills the Old Testament prophet promises to Israel, and the church becomes the new Israel. And, you know, I won't give you all the verses, but, you know, you could look, for instance, in Ephesians 2, where it says that the, he makes the two one, the dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles is taken away, and it's just one. So you could cite that. And, and, they, and all millennialists do. They say there's no postponed plan for Israel. By the way, there are some who would disagree with this. Some millennialists. Kingdom of God is a spiritual millennium. It's present in the world today. The church is part, the one fulfilling it literally on earth, and it's in the presence in heaven where Christ is spiritually reigning right now on David's throne. I think we all agree, David, that uh, Jesus is reigning on David's throne in heaven we don 't see the full fulfillment of Jesus' reign on earth, we believe though we will one day, and I feel like it has a it's, God is going to accomplish what he started in Eden, and he will to do that he 's going to have a, his his reign on earth after all the many thousands of years that man has messed it up we'll have a thousand years to be what what closer to what God originally intended and i i have personally this is my what one of the things why I believe in premillennialism is that it it fulfills God's desires and I think God's desires aren't going to be thwarted by man and so yes there will be a new heaven and new earth but first there's going to be something that accomplishes the original purposes God set up because there's just a certain for me a completion that that brings. No, they believe there's a millennium. But it is not a, it's not a defined period of time. Okay. Um, millennialists do believe it's right now. It's been since Christ came first. And now it's established spiritually in heaven. And that's the thrust of it. It's going on in our hearts. There's just not going to be a physical kingdom. So the church age, the church age is, the, is the millennium until he comes again. So the millennium would be between the first and the second advents of Christ. Okay, now the post-millennialists, some of them, some of them will, will have a different view of that, but some of them will also agree with that. Okay? So, number, number uh, three we're on, fulfilling these Old Pro- Testament promises to Israel. Go, what about all of those things that happened? So here's some of the, the arguments. First of all, that there were promises, the law, in Deuteronomy often talked about if you do this, I will bless you. If you don't do this, you will have consequences. And so there was conditional nature to the Old Testament law. And land promises, if you do this, then I will give you the land. But they didn't do that. And they were taken out of the land into the Babylonian captivity, while the northern kingdom was taken to Assyria, a different kingdom than Babylon. And then later Judah was taken to Babylon. And so, see, it was all conditional. They didn't fulfill in their obedience to the law, and so those promises were conditional. Israel did not meet those conditions, so the promises are now null and void. And so, especially the book of Matthew, even a professor I had at Dallas said that Matthew is about documenting the offer of the kingdom to the Jews. And when the Jews rejected him, these parables that said, well... It will be taken away from you and given to some more worthy. That there was a major shift when, when Jew, the Jews rejected Jesus. When they said, oh, you're doing this by the spirit of Satan or Beelzebub. And he says, that's blasphemy. It, in other words, as you reject this, it's going to have huge consequences for you. All of the promises that you would have had from the Old Testament will be given to the church be given to another people. And you can see parables that would support that contention and that would teach that. It isn't necessarily limited to all millennialism that there's a withdrawal of the promises. Now we, as a, if you're a pre-millennialist and you have a view that Israel, there's still a plan for them, you believe that God will then revive those promises, that there will be a wholesale conversion to the Messiah, Jesus. But that won't happen until the end times. They're saying, no, it's already been taken away from them, and if individual Jews want to become a Christian, then great, they become part of the church, that one body, Ephesians 2 talked about. So they say a lot of these conditional promises Israel didn't meet. Now, again, there are some amillennialists, a minority, that believe Israel will somehow come to, to bear and will co-reign with the church. It won't be quite this t- 12 thrones, and, and there's, we don't really understand how the church fits in. Is what they're saying? It's all about Israel. Church becomes a stepchild or invisible. What happened to the church? Isn't that the major point? Yes. That, what they're saying in Romans chapter eleven, when the, the church is becomes grafted into the tree. Right. Israel, well, Israel's going to be regrafted. The tree. Is that their? Well, purpose? Israel. No, well, they say Israel is has been the tree, but the tree then oh, is no. the. It's not just a grafting. It's now we become the tree as the church yeah. Yeah. in amillennialism. Yeah, but then what do they do? Israel's going to be regrafted. Into the tree. Yeah, well, if they, yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, the, Israel having a place in amillennialism is definitely, I mean, you would only have a very small minority, of more contemporary amillennialists now saying that. Most of them think it's over for Israel yeah. as far as God's promises, not as far as being a national physical people. So were there, there's, I understand that there were unconditional promises that were given to Abraham before the law. Yes. The church fulfills those. The church fulfills We are the new people of Abraham. Yes. So when God says that I will make you a, a holy nation forever, right. it's like that forever isn't forever. Well, we take it like this. So when Peter writes that you are a, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a, a people chosen by God in First Peter 2, right? He's talking to the church, unless you think that, that he only wrote to Roman Jews and that was only for them. But most of the people say, no, this was to the church. So therefore, the church has, has assumed and taken over the Abrahamic promises, is what they would say in the millennial view. Because the New Testament says that they are to us, the New Testament takes over, and they're quoting those verses that talk about the one people, the church, becoming um, the new holy nation, and that kind of thing. And so, they're, the God promises of God, they would say, are irrefutable. To Israel, they were given conditionally. They haven't been given conditionally to the church. They've been given unconditionally on the blood of Christ. Well, no, I don't think that amillennialism would say that the the promises to Abraham were were conditional. They were conditional for Israel to be included in them, but the promises will be fulfilled. They will just be fulfilled by the church instead because Israel rejected God and then rejected Messiah. Okay. I don't see the church doing much better than the Israelites. <laughs> Well, there are parts of the world where the church is doing pretty well. It's it just not in America, which also is in the sermon about the decline of the number of churches and such. But it doesn't mean that will always be that way. And the post-millennials, one of their arguments is, because we say, look, things aren't getting better, they're getting worse. Look, and they go, well, don't look at it right now. You don't know. It could be another thousand years, and who knows what things would look like in a thousand years if, once we Christianize the world. Yeah, Pastor. Vic, uh, now God is bringing Israel back to Himself, right? I mean, they were uh, reformed the nation in '48, uh, yeah, and then of course the the Six Day War uh, in '67, June '67, uh, retaking Jerusalem. Right. Jerusalem, uh, so He is bringing Israel back, according to the premillennial view. The, the, our version of the premillennial view, yes. The, of course, 1948, taking the land, taking Jerusalem in 1967, huge, uh, support for the premillennial position, as they would, they would say. See how this supports historically. Who would have ever imagined how this could happen? And now they're back in the land, and now they're back in their capital. All millennials would say, yeah, great, but you don't know what's going to happen down the road. Uh, and that doesn't mean Israel will have uh, some special plan apart from the church in God's kingdom. And that's, a, I think, for me, I ask myself, what is the driving force? Is there, are they anti-Semitic? Some of them were. But I think it's because they feel the church gets pushed away after the return of Christ. And become unimportant, and this is this is my opinion. I think they are trying to find a way to explain what Scripture is saying using Scripture, being true to Scripture, that doesn't make the church basically disappear and just kind of be the people sitting in the in the seats while Israel's on the field doing the the, the ruling and governing and reigning. I think that bothers them, and I've heard a millennialist guy who came to Egypt and, and he presented that one of the reasons he thinks. Um, that, is, that we have so much trouble in the Middle East is that the U.S. props up Israel, the U.S. government, and the U.S. evangelical community, and their support for Israel make things worse because of what they do. So I don't, I don't want to get into a political debate on that one. I'm just saying he, he was very, I mean, he gets, uh, he gets labeled as anti-Semitic, but he's an Anglican priest. Yeah. Right. And, uh, I think it's on one... Okay, so, so but that's all, that's all the debate between premillennialism and amillennialism. So, because I'd love to talk about it, but we don't have time to go into all of the, how, how can you say this amillennialist and here's the premillennialist counterpoint. Um, it's a great thing to study. And yes, uh, Genesis 12 is critical, but again, the church takes over those promises. Okay, so we're on number three, the conditional promises, Uh, and then the ones that you say were not conditional, they were fulfilled in the new heaven and the new earth. That's under point three. Now, number four, the end comes when Christ returns, and they quote several scriptures. Jesus didn't mention the thousand-year kingdom ever, in fact, it's, again aside from what happens to the church, their thing is, it's only mentioned in Revelation 20, and the rest of Scripture is going to explain what that means. So in Matthew 19:28, it says, could somebody read that for us? I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And then go ahead and read Matthew 25, 31, 32, and 46, please. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered before Him. And He will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on the right, and the goats on, the left, on His left. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous... Okay, Now, the before 46, but at the end of 33, we're in the middle of in Matthew 13. There are several parables that kind of pick up this theme. The parable of the tares, the parable of the dragnet, which is the good fish and bad fish. And we already did a the, the little bit of the sheep and the goats uh, for Matthew 25. That all of these are proving that the end comes. And there's no mention of a millennium in any of what you see up there on the screen. At the renewal of all things, the Son of Man sits on his throne and then the 12 tribes sit the on the 12 thrones. The separation of the sheep and the goats. Jesus comes. He separates the sheep. They go with him to rule. The goats go to hell. And they are judged and go to hell. And, and amillennialism has a very strong view of judgment and hell. Okay. Then Jesus himself, in John 5, somebody mentioned this. John 5, 28 and 29. Could someone read that for us? A time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live. Those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Jesus is talking about a resurrection of the good and the evil the same time okay there was a comment there so it and the verse ends that will rise to be condemned so so you see the the comment jesus is there's there's no mention of a millennial period in between but the premillennial point of view says that we go as christians we're judged when christ comes back at the bema seat corinthians second first corinthians talks about that but revelation talks about a judgment of the great white throne at the end of the millennium so we separate those by a thousand years or so. And so uh, Jesus does not mention that in his words, in his verses. So they're being received and a great white throne are the same judgment. Yeah, it's all it's a well, yeah, it's all one judgment. Maybe there's a I'm, you know, I haven't read how they would say is it on the same day at the same place, but it's at the same time at the second coming. No mention of a big thousand year kingdom in between. And then Daniel, also, of course, John 5, we would say, is more recent, carrying more weight. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt, from Daniel 12.2. Acts 24.15, there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. doesn't mention resurrections, which you would sort of think you should do if you're having a thousand years between them. So, these are some of the points of view that they use a few more verses that they have. Oh, we're kind of wait we well i'll I'll let put them up. second Peter three ten. This is an important one. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything will be laid bare. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So again, all millennials say, there's, this isn't going to be you know, a new heaven and a new earth for a millennial period. It's only the reference to the new... Uh, uh, there's, this re- refers to that end time for, that starts... Forever, It's not a thousand-year ending point. You can look up second Thess because we kind of need to go on. But So resurrection, same day, no time span in between. Second coming, judgment, and then the eternal state with the renewal of the earth and the new heaven and the new earth. Okay, now, back in uh, point five, thousand in scripture is used, they say, as a round number, not an exact count it 's used symbolically for all, so how do you come up with thousand? Well, the perfect number is seven, the number of the Trinity is three, so you add <laughs> you add those together, you get ten, and then you do that times to the third power again, that holy number is thou- thousand. The point is they say it 's used as a, a kind of a generalization. Okay, come on, I'm millennials. How can you say that? Well, look at 1 Chronicles. He remembers his covenant forever. The promise he made for a thousand generations. Literally a thousand generations? Is it, can we like cite the point where the generations end? Psalm 50, 10. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. All right, so a thousand isn't literal. So we go to uh, Revelation 20. And so here's again, I've mentioned this, so because it's, it's, it's hard to understand, there's so many symbols in Revelation, we use other scriptures to interpret Revelation. We need to use the plain scriptures to interpret the obscure ones. And so it says in Revelation 20, and we did this last week, um, the word then I saw occurs in Revelation 32 times, and that's going to be how, so this starts off. It doesn't say, then I saw, but that's the same expression in verse 1 of Revelation 20. I saw. So all the other times in Revelation, this is like just seeing, saying, did John saw this, then John saw that. Doesn't mean it's chronological. This is thematic. And so it's going back and doing a retelling of what will happen. So we have this big war at the end in Revelation 19, and then John says, then I saw this other vision. It doesn't mean it had to happen after, chronologically after. So um, we have the angel coming out of heaven to Satan then. Okay, let's, uh, can we go to, do we have Revelation 20 verse one and three? Yeah. Oh yeah, go back. Uh, Yeah, go forward. So, Revelation. I saw the angel coming out of heaven. Notice we we read this last week. He seizes the dragon, he throws him into the abyss, and he locks and seals it over him to keep him from deceiving. Notice the lock and seal going on there. You say, well, how can you, how can you say that? How this sounds like Satan. He, obviously, Satan's running around at work, and their answer is that Satan can no longer deceive whole nations, but he can still deceive individuals. It's symbolic for his power being very limited. But how can you say that? Glad you asked that, they say, Matthew 12. How can anyone go forward? Yeah. Uh, How can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. Now is the time in John twelve thirty one. Now is the time for judgment. And this world, the prince of this world, will be driven out. So now is the time. He's been driven out. So let's say, see in the New Testament, Jesus is saying, I'm binding Satan. It's just not a complete binding until the end times. But his power is limited. He's not literally put down into an abyss, a literal abyss. Okay, so they're looking at it from another angle. Okay, now on to, real quick, on to Revelation 20, verse 4 and 6. So we have this, we also read read about the the different resurrections. So the thrones of those who have been given authority to judge the martyrs, they came to life and reigned with Christ, So came to life is a resurrected term, came to life, and then the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. They say, this is a spiritual resurrection, It's not a literal physical resurrection. What this means is that you were dead in your sins and now you have been resurrected like Romans 6 to come to life spiritually. The next resurrection after that will be a physical bodily resurrection. And they say you have two different kinds of second death. You have a physical death And you have a spiritual death, which means eternal death and separation from God. So why can't you have a spiritual resurrection in the first one and a a physical resurrection in the second one? Of course, our answer to that is no place in Scripture is a resurrection differentiated as one's spiritual and one's physical. Okay, so... Also, uh, millennialism would say there's only one time that Satan deceives the nations. He doesn't deceive them at the end of the church age and then get released a thousand years later and deceive them at the second age. It's all referring to the one time. Okay, so objections on your outline. You can see those we've already mentioned along the way. They're overly spiritualizing uh, the prophetic literature, not observing the plain literal grammatical meaning. When it's valid, we've talked about Revelation. It just basically wipes away what premillennialists would view about John's order and events that are going to happen. Uh, one of the things that all millennialists say is that you have put this thousand years in there, and no one's revealed it before. And we would say, you know, there have been a lot of times in Scripture where uh, something is introduced that hasn't been talked about before. The whole mystery that Paul talks about in Ephesians two and three—the mystery of the church becoming one people, the mystery of Christ. Living in your heart, taking up residence, that's a mystery. It was not revealed that God would no longer have a physical temple and live in your heart. And then, of course, Jesus stood up in the synagogue early in his ministry, read out of Isaiah 61, talking about how he's fulfilled that, stops in the middle of the verse at at releasing the captives and doesn't go into the part about the wrath of God and the judgment and all of that, saying, see, there's a gap there, and you it's in the middle of a verse, so... So, you know, we would say, see, there's gaps all over the place. The natives are restless. And we've already mentioned the resurrection spiritual. Okay? So, I know, a lot of material. And we go through it fast. I hope you can look this stuff up in your, uh, Bill? Hey, Bill? Bill. Bill. <laughs> Trying to move the box, and I don't know if we got put in the bulletin that way or not, but change it's hard (laughs) this could be a church split over where that tithe box goes you know let's pray father just open our hearts again to understand and even when we're like oh my gosh there's so many things so many viewpoints how do i know what to believe and lord i don't mean this lightly but we can be pan millennialists and pan is the greek word for all where it all pans out in the end we just need to trust you god with how things happen, and do our best to understand, but hold it loosely. And Lord, just remembering that the bond of the Spirit is most important of all, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.